Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we go. I know a lot of people, of course, are talking about the Trump Town Hall. I want to start off with just a few comments on that. I watched I watched the whole thing. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was just fantastic. Again, the way that he went after the 2020 election and refusing to bow down to just letting 2020 be forgotten is absolutely fantastic. So I want to get into that here in just a second. Um, I, of course, have plenty of education-related things, a few local audio clips to play from local news affiliates, and uh, more proof that school boards themselves have no business wrapping themselves up in politics, and they've overstepped their bounds when it comes to what their job is. And that right there is really why they're becoming fiscally irresponsible. And not just becoming, but they are fiscally irresponsible and uh, becoming insolvent, which is great. The whole thing's collapsing, and uh, yeah, I I bake a cake every time I I hear more of their stupidity. I think it's great. I also have a few jab-related stories to tell, a few things worth thinking about, and uh, if I have some time, I'd like to wrap up by reading a uh, a quick little section from the book titled "The Truth About Contagion." By Dr. Thomas Cowan and Sally Fallon Morell. It really is a fantastic book. Tons of awesome history in it. And again, it's a book that I've mentioned before on the show that I highly recommend. So let me get into this here the Trump Town Hall. Um, first of all, I, I saw a lot of people commenting online saying things like, I can't believe that the crowd was, was cheering on CNN. First of all, it was introduced to everybody that the crowd was Republican and or independent. That that was introduced to everybody watching. So given the fact that it's a town hall and not a debate, people are allowed to applaud and they're allowed to do that kind of thing. So it doesn't surprise me that they were applauding. What's interesting, and, and I truly believe this because the evidence can't be more clear, frankly, CNN would have never done this in the past. With Donald Trump, they would have never done it. They are either controlled by white hats to some extent at the very, very top, or they're just this stupid that they would actually have Donald Trump on a stage with his supporters in the crowd. And these are individuals, again, who, who are by and large his supporters, not supporters of Republicans or conservatives, they're his supporters. They're supporters of America, because again, those of us looking at the dynamics of, you know, the, the, the fake binary system of the political parties, we can clearly see that conservative and Republican is not the way to go. Clearly, left and Democrat isn't the way to go either. They're insane. But the rhinos and and everybody on the on the proverbial right, they're not the way to go either. There is the truth. That is the only way forward here. We need peace, we need the truth, and we need that all of the time. But I absolutely loved it how we wouldn't back down from 2020. The constant gaslighting, and this is this is an enormous it's an enormous piece, I think, that the gaslighting is going to ramp up. It's not going to go away. You can hear all the snide comments and all of the little backhanded murmurs that uh, Caitlin Collins was making saying, clearly that's not true. Clearly there was no fraud. It's been proven there was no fraud. 
they can they can gaslight all they want. The delivery of gaslighting, in particular the way that she was doing it, and the way that, of course, Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper were doing the exact same thing after the thing ended, is just more proof that how you gaslight matters. There's subtle gaslighting, and then there's abusive gaslighting, which is redundant because gaslighting is abuse, but there's abrasive gaslighting. And they've lost complete control. They've lost. And by lost, I mean even the election. The election's over. Hasn't even started, and it's already over. There's no way that white hats are going to let this slip through again. But we know that it had to happen with Joe Biden and having him get in and having him show everybody how bad everything can get when you have fraud that just is allowed to happen. They can't let the fraud happen again. Again, I think it was controlled demolition in 2018 and 2020. There was rampant fraud. We, we, we know it. And we had to learn more about it. And we certainly did. But the gaslighting isn't going to go away. They're going to keep ramping up the attacks that 2020 was not stolen. January 6th was a terrorist attack and all this other garbage. None of that's true. And we know that. Which means what's coming down the line, because it's happened every single time. Every single time that the mainstream media and the deep state attempt to gaslight the ever-living hell out of us, the good guys always show up with the answer, undeniable answer. We are going to be shown in the future, in my opinion, that 2020 was in fact stolen. There will be undeniable evidence of this. We've already seen it. I mean, we don't need to be convinced. It's the proverbial normie that has to be convinced to some extent. And again, some of them can't be saved, as we know. Four to six percent, as it said in the Q posts, just they can't be saved. They can't be rescued. They're, they're, they're lost forever. Whether that's population-based, again, based on the jabs, multiple interpretations, of course, or if they just refuse to understand that an entire presidential election was stolen in their generation during their time on Earth, and that that is a massive, massive problem. Whether they figured that out over the course of time or not, that's ultimately up to the individual. But the abrasive nature that CNN is gaslighting people with their approach on everything, just denying, denying, and, and of course just repeating themselves and saying, well, that's not true, that's not accurate, that's not true, that's false, and all these other statements that they say, it's not, it's not working out for them. It blew up right in their face. So again, it's either white hat controlled, it's hubris on their part, or it's both. But they're not winning. And they're not winning again, in my opinion, because they've already lost. They have nothing but quicksand underneath their feet. And every single time that they move, they just sink deeper and deeper and deeper. They have not learned. Caitlin Collins, during that Town Hall could have taken a completely different approach. She could have let him say what he wanted to say without challenging him. She could have asked follow-up questions. She could have asked politely for direct evidence and names of individuals, but that's not her approach. See, and, and again, I'm not bashing females when I say this, but as we, as we know, there's an abrasive nature specifically from left-wing females 
who are angry, lonely. She's not married. She's a Jewish American. She's she's just she's just angry constantly. She again used to be in the press room, remarkably rude when she was in the press room in the in the White House, and uh, and she hasn't changed. She of course has an earpiece in, so she's listening to people say particular things. And then of course, when the whole thing ended, it ended shortly. Again, I saw it on the guide as I was watching it on an on a Spectrum application. It had the thing running at least an hour and a half. And then they went to commercial before nine o'clock. They started talking and then they cut it off at about like nine oh five. And I thought, well, that's strange. And then I kept watching, and Caitlin Collins disappeared off of that stage faster than you could possibly imagine. Anybody can you should go back and watch that, watch that clip. The camera is not on her. She leaves. Trump stays there. He's applauding. He's looking at everybody, smiling. He's talking to him. He's he's having more dialogue with him. CNN keeps running it, keeps running the camera on him, talking to the people. Caitlin Collins is gone, completely off the stage. He was in complete control because that's what happens when you have the truth on your side. Every single time, when you have the truth on your side, you can make liars look like the biggest bitch in the world. It's real simple. Absolutely pure dead simple. Anybody can walk up to a microphone and tell the stone cold truth if you have nothing to lose and you know you have the truth on your side. The, the, the brainwashed masses and the people on the left will scream, shout, and yell, throw tantrums, get angry, because emotion is all they have. And as we know, emotions are not facts. Nowhere close. There's just the truth. That's it. Yeah, it takes time to figure that out, but it blows me away again that CNN keeps thinking that they have the upper hand. Here, here's the last point I want to make. This one sentence or this one line would bring down the house every single time. And it would really, I think, in well, I'll put it this way. This is the one thing I haven't heard them say yet. I haven't heard Donald Trump say this. It's possible he has some other place. Again, I don't watch all of his rallies, but it's possible this has been said. Caitlin Collins believes either again naively or she's just she's playing a gaslighting role into believing that she knows more than the president of the United States she believes that she knows more than Donald Trump who is and has been in direct contact with the military classified documents and what's actually taking place in the real world both locally, nationally, and globally, since at least 2015, definitely 2016, and of course, January 20 of 2017 when he was sworn in. The line that Donald Trump could say in the future, and he could say it to anybody who says, well, that's not true, Mr. President, that's not true. Anytime that happens, all he has to do is look at them and say, so I'm the president of the United States. He could even say was, if he wants to, just to satisfy, again, the brainwashed. I was the president of the United States. 
do you actually think you know more than I do? That's all he has to say. That's it. And then he's, and then say it again. And then say it again. It just needs to be a mantra of his, in my opinion. I'm providing my own, my, my, my one of two campaign strategies. The other, which I'd like to see him do, which I can talk about a thousand times later on, but I would like to see him advo- advocate for homeschooling. That's something I would like to hear him say, and I would like somebody to ask him that question. Are you a homeschool advocate, and do you believe that homeschooling is the, is the way forward? I would love for him to do that and, and that question to be asked to him. But regarding the who knows more, a CNN miserable, miserable single woman or Donald Trump, because the, the answer is crystal clear. It's crystal clear. He was the president of the United States. He's still the commander in chief. He knows more than she does. He knows it. She knows it. And the people are watching this and they're saying to themselves again, does she think she knows more than he does? Because clearly he knows way more than she does. There's no way she would know more. So all he has to do is cut right through it with a laser beam and say, I was the president of the United States. There's no way that you know more than I do about what really goes on. Something to that extent. It's the only thing that needs to be said. Again, he's remarkably reserved and polite. He's sitting there and he would drop his head and close his lips and look forward because he knows he knows that these people can't be saved. Caitlin Collins is ruined. She didn't have a career to begin with, but this just ruined her. And when CNN ceases to exist, and it will, when that happens, along with Fox News and the rest of them, they'll be out of jobs. No one will take them seriously. They'll probably start to create some kind of an online media outlet that only exists online. Maybe some crazy cable channel will will hire all these uh, these ex-misfits from all these failed networks. I mean, who's to really know? But uh, she's she's done. She's absolutely done. She went into the wood chipper feet first in that town hall. And she thought that she was in control of the of the on-off switch, and she wasn't. And again, the the reaction on the left was absolutely hilarious. I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and I've got a few th- theories about her also. In fact, I'll just mention her comment about it. She was she was accurate. She said, hey, look, what in the hell is CNN doing having him on? You know, these people are applauding him when he's being accused of, of rape and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, that's an interest. I mean, it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Because, again, regarding that, that fake trial, how on earth do you sue someone or, I guess, win a defamation case of some kind or an abuse case when you didn't rape them but you sexually assaulted them? Again, that Carol woman has been bankrolled by some of the worst people on the face of the planet. The same guy who bankrolled her lawsuit against Trump, which was completely fraudulent, of course, and anyone with a brain knows that, it was the same guy who, who bankrolled Fusion GPS. That's kind of a big deal. Seems like kind of a big deal. So, again, I, I don't think he's going to end up paying a dime. 
an appeals judge would look at this and say this is this is outrageous you can't you can't make up a rape or a sexual assault that did not happen and then and then win 5 million dollars or whatever the hell he was ordered to pay her i mean that that's not going to last but regarding ocasio cortez long long time ago and i'm talking like the depths of the q post so i want to say like 2018 maybe and i want to say it was maybe the summer or fall of 2018 I remember I was on 8chan, and I read an extremely long post. It was it was very interesting and thought provoking. It called out it called out Alex Jones to some extent, but it all as kind of being a gatekeeper kind of thing, which doesn't surprise a lot of people. But it also called out Ocasio Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and it basically threw this theory out there. It's an interesting theory. Don't know how much truth it is, but again, we can have our minds changed and, and we can certainly think about things with our, without arriving at, uh, at, at the stone-cold truth. The Post stated that she's a plant and that she was hired by the White Hats to take the left as far left as possible. She was young. She was recruited. She, of course, won her election against an older establishment white male, I believe, or Jewish male uh, in, in, in her district. She was a nobody. And then all of the sudden she won and won big against that Democrat. And then, of course, it was a Democrat district, so she beat out the Republican hands down very easily. But that she's a recruit was essentially the gist of the post, and it and it stated that she has a bunch of money coming her way when she leaves Congress because the whole plan for her, this was the theory, is that again she was brought in to throw everything as far left as humanly possible, specifically among the younger population, to help us take the narrative and speed up the narrative on the left as quickly as possible to show everybody how crazy these people are. So the theory is that she's an actor to some extent. Again, recruited, trained, CIA, white hat, what whatever. That that was the that was the theory. I'm not saying I agree with it. I don't know. I'm simply saying I think it's interesting. Because again, where do some of these people come from, and why is it that she's the one that you see more often, say, than other younger, uh, you know, Democrat, uh, you know, representatives or even senators for that matter? She's been the one that's been at the forefront for quite some time. She's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I think everybody knows that. That's beyond evident. She gets made fun of constantly in these uh, to her face during those congressional hearings where she's sitting on a particular committee. That happens constantly, and it's very funny. So she can fake being a hard leftist, but faking being smart is, I think, a little more difficult. I mean, she, I, I think that she's authentically not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I think that pretty much, again, goes without saying. But, uh, but, but of course, she gets caught sounding like a fool. But that's fine, because even if they're using her personality, her real personality, to a white hat benefit, 
I think I think that's an interesting take. Again, I'm not saying that everything that I just laid out there that was on that anonymous uh, 8chan post from many years ago is real. I just think that uh, I think that we have to take things like that into consideration. That not every uh, quote unquote elected official is clearly elected. We know that many of them are selected. We know voter fraud is rampant and it happens constantly. So we we just have to take these things into consideration that there are plants, that they do exist, that they are put in particular positions to either take the narrative to an extreme end to expose a whole lot, or they're brought in for a very specific, uh, specific reason, rather, to highlight maybe a singular issue. Again, these psyops happen all the time. They happen within our own government against us, for us, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. So I thought her reaction was hilarious because, again, it was a typical reaction. She said, what in the hell is CNN doing having Donald Trump on? I mean, she's basically agreeing with us. She's saying, yes, it was a train wreck for CNN. It wasn't a train wreck for anybody else. It was a train wreck for the for the. John Carroll girl or or Jean Carroll woman, uh, you know, that's psycho. And then, of course, uh, CNN as well. It was perfect. And, of course, the entire left and the left-wing media. It was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. So there you go. That's my two cents on that. I would expect, again, the gaslighting to continue. It's going to ramp up. It's going to sound more and more nauseating. Uh, with with every passing day, because again, we have the truth on their side, and these people are hell-bent on trying to brainwash as many people as humanly possible into believing what they believe or what they want us to believe. We know that 2020 was stolen, and we can't go forward without fixing 2020. We can't. The day has to come where Joe Biden, in again, on the one-dimensional level of thinking, as we're watching this script play out, they have to impeach him, which you can do after a president has left office. And we know he's not really the president, and you know we know all of this. But what that also means is, is that anything that he signed, which we know he didn't sign anything, anything that he's really signed is null and void. So it wipes out his entire existence as actually being the president of the United States because, again, first of all, we know he's not, but the normies don't. They think he really is. And then they would also say, well, if it was stolen, well, it doesn't matter because he's still in office now. Joe Biden is still in office and you know, it doesn't matter if it was stolen and whatever else. Well, it does matter. And again, Donald Trump was in charge during the fraudulent election. Endless reports, anonymous reports on all these chat boards saying that that night he was in a skiff with the military on his side watching the entire thing go down the way it was going down illegally and watching the entire media apparatus just steal it. That's treason. That's sedition. If they were working with a foreign company, espionage, that's punishable by death. So the Rupert Murdochs of the world, the uh, Jeff Zuckers of the world, I mean, these people are going to die because they have to, because what they did is punishable by death. So 
That's my two cents. That's assuming they don't kill themselves first. But there you go. Okay. With that aside, Diane Feinstein. Holy hell in a handbasket. Skeletor is back. And uh, that th- that's not shingles, ladies and gentlemen. Helen Keller can see that that's not shingles. She had a stroke. A big one. At least one. And again, Chuck Schumer rolled her right into the old Senate thing in order to say, you know, welcome back. And then she raises her hand. And of course, they had a very scripted vote at the exact same time to make sure that she could roll in and throw her stroke hand up and say, yes, I vote for this. And then they rolled her right out. That, that's a stroke. We've seen strokes. We know what strokes look like. That woman has had a stroke. She's finished. She may be moving back to Washington, D.C. to live there or live out the rest of her short-lived days here. But she's finished. She's absolutely finished. Again, another, another story I recall about Dianne Feinstein from a long time ago was when she was in early politics. She may have been an early senator. Um, she was younger, clearly. Anything is younger than her. But um, she, was, she was at a party, and this was being told, I, I wish I had it written down. I, I really do. I'm sure it's in my archives somewhere. There's no way I'm going to be able to find it. But I'll, I'll never forget reading it. It was a giant article written by someone who was now an adult, clearly, but they were a child at the time, and they, they, they made all the necessary connections to, to validate that this happened. They said who they were. They, were. they were the child of another politician, and there were all of these politicians meeting in this California house, and Feinstein was one of them. It was a party, essentially, but there were children there. And this child made their way into the bathroom, and they were walking down the hall, and there was Feinstein, and she was coming out of the bathroom as the child was starting to come in, and then Feinstein turned around, went into the bathroom. Now, again, my memories lapsed on this regarding whether or not it was a little girl or a little boy. Point is, Feinstein assaulted this little kid sexually, started to grab him and massage them and, you know, do the things that a predator would do. So, you know, take that for what you want. It's nice gossip, but it was a legit article. If anybody out there knows exactly what I'm talking about, please, you know, toss it in the comments section on BitChute or Rumble or hit me up on Gab or email it to me because, again, it was a really interesting article. It was sad, of course, um, but she's a predator. That's my whole point. You, you couldn't read that article and say to yourself that this woman hadn't been a predator for a very long time. She's the epitome of evil. And if hell exists, She's got a one-way ticket. There's no, there's no other way around it. So, boom, bam, there you go. Okay, education-related things, and there's a lot to get to. This was from Just the News the other day. I wanted to briefly mention this headline. Uh, Missouri lawmakers bar trans athletes in women's sports and ban transgender uh, treatments for minors or gender treatments for minors. It says both measures will expire in 2027 should they become law, and hopefully they do. So, yeah, keep up the good work there. Or, of course, as you've heard me say, which I think is the most logical solution, if a tranny shows up to play a game, everybody just walk off the field, walk off the court, walk off the ice, walk off whatever sports avenue or sports field you are on. Just walk away and watch what happens. 
it'll be great. That, that sends the that sends the quickest and clearest message. We're not going to play pretend with a pretend girl. So there you go. Okay, Gateway Pundit. These goofballs. I'm telling you, Gateway Pundit's a silly silly outlet, but uh, fortunately they have some things that are still relevant. Uh, here's one. I, I thought this was nice that it made its way here. A bit shocking, but there you go. It says, uh, quote, no proof exists that the United States landed on the moon in 1969, says former head of Russia's space agency. See, this is the, um, this is the false equivalency that you've heard me speak about time and time again. People would read this and they'd say, well, whatever, Russia said it, so they're lying. Are they? Because people here say we landed on the moon, and Russia's saying it's impossible it didn't happen. So which is it? That's where the individual has to separate themselves from both proverbial sides, so to speak, and just look at this and examine it. Because no, we didn't land on the moon. It's impossible. In fact, I haven't gone in depth on this whatsoever, but there's plenty of proof that the moon isn't even a solid surface. I mean, if you look at it, okay, it almost looks translucent, doesn't it? There are parts of it that are brighter than others. There's also no, no proof that there's some sort of dark side of the moon, which of course would Im imply directly that, uh, that the moon is a, is a ball, like a giant volleyball or tennis ball. I mean, it, it's just not. Because again, it's not giving off any light in the opposite direction. So, yeah, I think I, I think this is an excellent admission, and the fact that it made its way to the Gateway Pundit, I think, is a good thing. Because again, it would open people's eyes, and hopefully, they would read into it. So, let me read into it briefly here. It says, "Over half a century has passed since Neil Armstrong made his giant leap for mankind on that huge uh, movie stage that was filmed by Stanley Kubrick." Uh, but uh, it doesn't say that, but that's what happened. But depending on who you ask, Armstrong may or may not have left the planet. No kidding. Even now, NASA's historic feature, or feat rather, is being challenged. No, it's been challenged since day one. Uh, it says some people believe that the U.S. government faked moon landings in an effort to beat Russians in the space race. They claim that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin acted out their mission on a secret film set either in Hollywood Hills or in Area 51. There's also another theory that it happened at MGM Studios uh, in Great Britain someplace, if there is an MGM Studios there. Either way, it doesn't matter. It says Dmitry Rogozin, the former head of the Russian space agency Ros, uh, let's see, Roscosmos, if I'm saying that right, said approximately 10 years ago that he had, a set, that he had set out on a quest to locate irrefutable evidence that the United States had landed on the moon in 69 per zero hedge. The lack of proof led him to doubt that Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Quote, About 10 years ago when I worked in the government, I sent an official request to Roscomos to provide me with documentary evidence of the America's stay on the moon, which at the time was still at the disposal of the federal agency. Ragozin said in a post on Telegram on Sunday, quote, 
I was painfully embarrassed by the fact that the Soviet cosmonaut returning from multi-day expeditions could barely stand on their feet and underwent a long recovery after such flights. Uh, and the Americans crawled out of their lunar ships like cucumbers from the garden, he added. <laughs> it's true. It's 100% true. It goes on. There's three more paragraphs to it. But um, yeah, it's actually physically impossible in order to be quote-unquote weightless for an extended period of time because it's based on your inner ear. And your inner ear, of course, is where balance is located. Now, if you're anything like me, and you've had at least one concussion, I've had two, they're not fun, you can't, you can't hardly move when you have a concussion. Again, your, your inner ear is thrown off. Your, your brain has swelled a little bit inside of, inside of your skull. There's been some bruising of the brain. But you, you, can't, you can't remain weightless because your inner ear requires you to be still and on the ground. So if an individual was weightless for X amount of time, your inner ear would eventually become so agitated you would be doing nothing but vomiting and you would lose consciousness. It would not matter how much oxygen you had. You could be in a oxygen tank, so to speak. You could be on oxygen tanks regarding masks. It wouldn't matter. Your inner ear would become completely thrown off. You would lose consciousness after vomiting profusely. It's impossible. It, do it just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I think it's great. The more, the more that a story like that makes its way to the Gateway Pundit, it's going to start opening up somebody's eyes to the fraud. And as we know, if you have any curiosity as a human being whatsoever, you're going to ride that rail all the way to as much truth as you possibly can, and you're going to keep riding it. And the more truth that you're exposed to and the more truth you learn about, you never come back from that. You don't. The lies, the lies become buried forever, and they're not even buried. They just evaporate, and then they never return. So I love it. Nice little story there. Okay, moving on. This, however, I want to spend a little time on, as you would expect, and uh, you know, it's 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 not good. This is this is exactly what fake school shootings. And certainly the government seek to accomplish with their fake school shootings. And again, this is this is such a this is such a massive problem that I, I see this potentially making its way through the Texas legislature. So he, here's the title. This is from Yahoo News. Raise the age, quote unquote, gun bill. Passes Texas Committee After Months of Advocacy by Uvalde Families. This is the slippery slope. This is what happens. This is, exa this is exactly what Bill Cooper warned us about. They'll just lie to you. And then, of course, the politicians are Freemasons, which means most of them are in on it. And all you need is one or two more people to be in on it than not. And then a vote like this goes through a particular committee. Now, it's passed a Texas committee. It's not on the House floor yet. It's not 
being passed by the Senate, and it's certainly not being uh, written into law by Wheels Abbott. And he's an abomination too. But um, this is still not good. This passed with an eight to five vote. And uh, they're raising the age to purchase a rifle from 18 to 21, which means theoretically you can't own a firearm unless it's a shotgun in the state of Texas unless, unless you're above 21 years old. If you're 18, congratulations, you can get a shotgun, but you can't, you can't get an AR-style semi-automatic rifle, which means, again, are you allowed other kinds of rifles at the age of 18 or not? They're basically attempting to disarm Texans is essentially what I'm trying to, trying to say here. So, yeah, it's an abomination. It says, in a shocking and last-minute turn of events in Texas, yes, I'm sure it's shocking, it's scripted, a bill that would raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15-style semi-automatic rifle from 18 to 21 passed out of the House Committee Monday, advancing the measure hours before a key deadline. Several Uvalde victims, actors, relatives, fakers, burst, in, burst into sobs and cheers in the Capitol hearing room when two Republicans joined all the Democrats on the committee to advance the bill by an 8-5 to five vote. So they're traitors, and they're liars, and they're bought off, and they're compromised and blackmailed, and that's all that means. It says, quote, I'm feeling very overwhelmed, very emotional, said Kimberly Garcia through tears after the committee vote. Her 10-year-old daughter, Amory, Amory Joe Gar, uh, Garza, rather, this, remember, this is the one who had the two dads. The two fake dads, or certainly the one was more fake than the other, uh, was one of the 19 fourth graders and two teachers killed at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde on May 24th. No one died in Uvalde, Texas. Take it to the bank. Oh, uh, gosh. It continues, blah, blah, blah. Greg Abbott said that he believes the measure to be unconstitutional. No kidding. So he shouldn't sign that because, again, it is unconstitutional. Shall not be infringed. What part of that do these people not understand? They've got a nice close-up picture of a couple of people hugging each other. Conspiracy to commit fraud, ladies and gentlemen, against the United States of America should be punishable by death if it isn't already. It makes me, uh, it makes me sick to my stomach, but, you know, there it is. If the school shooting happens, or the, the, the fake school shooting happens, and it's all over the media, and everybody's covering it, that's the dead giveaway. It didn't happen. Again, look at Nashville. Same thing. Now they've passed red flag laws. So congratulations, dummies, over there in, in Nashville. Certainly all of the politicians are clearly bought and sold. Is it possible that, uh, that they suspect that it didn't happen? It's possible. but. No one has any, nobody has any huevos. Nobody has any courage over there. They aren't, uh, they aren't interested in telling the truth. Politicians, you know, most of them are exactly the same. They just perpetuate the lies. Again, you know, I t take Donald Trump, for example. He's playing a role. And I know that people would say, whatever, Sean, you're, you're carrying water for Donald Trump. The man has saved copious amounts of lives, more than we could possibly imagine. I've been over all of the reasons why that's the case here. 
He has to bring up Ashley Babbitt during that town hall, for example, even though there's no way she's dead. She was playing a role. She was playing a role in a script, and it's quite possible clearly that that other uh, Capitol Police officer who, who pulled the trigger in her general direction, that he was playing a role too. Who's to really know? But she she didn't die, and and she's not dead. So he has to go along with the story, though. And again, he's the president of the United States. Do you really think that he doesn't really know what took place there? Do you think that he doesn't really know that false flags occur and that crisis actors exist? And again, you, you can get on my... Uh, I think it's in my comments section. It's in the comments section of my Gab page where I have the Ashley Babbitt shooting video uh, from Woo's News on BitChute. You can't watch that video and say to yourself that that was normal and that the, that the people behaving the way that they did around Ashley Babbitt was normal, if that's even her real name. It's astounding, but yeah, she's not dead. The, the, the video is pretty clear. So anyway, that's my rant about that. Again, the politicians have to say particular things. I fully get it. Certainly Donald Trump does, but I'm disappointed, although not surprised, that local politicians and state politicians would go along with a fake school shooting. Because if they don't, uh, you know, a plane engine is going to go out on a plane that they're flying on. Or, uh, you know, they're mysteriously going to die on their front porch and have a quote-unquote heart attack. I wish they would start telling the truth about these, these fake school shootings because the enemy is making inroads to strip us of our rights. And again, thank God for the Constitution for what part of it still exists that people still believe in because that's the only thing keeping us, keeping us armed at the current moment. Which brings me to another quick little gun story very quickly before I Move on to a couple other education things here. I'm sorry for the digression here, but uh, yeah. I saw an excellent video. I don't know if anybody watches High Impact Flicks and Brian Young over there. He's always had a great channel. He still does. But there's a video making the, making the rounds of a couple of ATF guys. or Well, they're not guys. One's a woman, one's, one's a man. But they approach this trigger maker, and he makes triggers for SEAL Team 6 and the military and whatever else. And the ATF shows up, these two agents, and they show up and they say that what he's doing is illegal. Well, that's not true. The ATF, of course, is not a lawmaking entity. They don't make laws. And they don't get to just create a policy and say it's unconstitutional what this trigger maker is doing regarding the manufacture of these triggers that the very military ourselves are using in combat certainly in training exercises and whatever else, but um, they show up and they basically look at them and they say, okay, you know, we fully understand your stance. You, you don't want to give them up, but understand if you don't give them up, then, you know, you're breaking the law. And he goes, no, I'm not breaking the law. He goes, you two have to make a decision as to what side you're on because the ATF doesn't make laws and Congress hasn't passed any laws regarding these triggers. It hasn't been signed into law by any president of the United States. None of that is legit, which means you're just enforcers. And again, the guy 
the, the male ATF agent was kind of taking a back seat and he looks at the dude and he goes, look, man, I, I fully understand. I totally agree with you. The female was a little more upfront and a little more abrasive. She was trying, she took the lead. She was trying to play the good cop maybe, but uh, it didn't work out for either one of them. Both ATF agents left without confiscating this guy's triggers that he legally manufactures for the military. And that was that. Again, they said, well, if you, if you keep them and you don't hand them over to us right now, then, you know, th th there's a law being broken. And he was like, nope, there's no law being broken. So we're done talking and have a nice day. And he recorded the whole thing. And again, in the comments section, even in the video, as Brian Young reads, he goes, you know, the, the guy talked a little more to the ATF than he should have. You know, if the, if the feds show up to your property, you enter your house, you don't say anything, you call the sheriff's department, and, uh, and, and that's what you do. And if you have security cameras, you turn them on, you make sure that they're being recorded, but you don't speak to them. And he did look at them and say, look, I'm not going to answer any of your questions. I'm not answering any of your questions. And that was fine, I guess, but that should have been the end of it. I mean, he should have just walked away. But either way, um, you know, it, it was a positive outcome as far as I know for, for the individual who makes the triggers. But yeah, the ATF, I'm telling you, they're, they're a rogue agency just like the CIA, the FBI, and the rest of them. And, and they're not, I mean, they're not going to quit. They have no problem showing up to anybody's house, knocking on a door, and starting to ask questions. And again, if a, if a federal agency is in your county, they have to have told the sheriff's department, and the sheriff has to sign off on it in order for them to even be on your property. That's why the first call is to a sheriff's department and, and, and your local sheriff. I'm not saying local sheriffs are all good people. They're clearly not. But if they don't know then that's why you call them because then you request that a sheriff's deputy come out to your house and kick the feds off your property if they refuse to leave. They'll usually leave before anybody shows up. So you've heard me speak of the interagency civil war that's consistently taking place. Make no mistake, it is in full effect, and it is certainly happening. All right. Sorry about that, uh, that rant on the feds. Back to education. And this is the internal, certainly the moral civil war that's continuing to take place within the field of education. I have some audio here from a Dayton area elementary school that is closing. They have fired approximately seven or ten of their teachers, and now the building is closing. Interesting. It's almost like they're running out of money. It's almost like they don't have enough people to hire to actually do the job anymore. So I have some audio for that. Give this a listen in three, two, one. School was already on the clock after the North Mount School Board updated strategic plan back in February and announced the school would eventually close. But the superintendent says a recent decision at the polls sped up that process. Voters rejected a levy last week, and the board took immediate action. District leaders holding an emergency meeting Monday night, voting unanimously to close the school at the end of the year. Before the levy failed, there was a chance the school could have one more year, but now that's not happening. The district is reporting a $7 million deficit. Selling this building will cut $5 million off that shortfall. Englewood Elementary has nearly 300 students, making it one of the smaller schools in the district. But it was successful. State test scores put the school in the top 30% for the 2020-2021 school year, with students being the state averages in math and reading. The students will be split between Union Elementary and Englewood Hills Elementary next school year. 
Yeah, I think that it's mixed reaction. I think from a um, physical standpoint, people people understand that uh, um, it's better to, to close a building than to uh, cut programs for 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 our students. Uh, but if you live close by, or if you've uh, into that building, there, there's a there's an emotional part of it as well, and there's a kind of a grieving process because it's been a part of our community for a long time, and we certainly understand that. The district also voted last night to suspend the contracts of nine teachers, but Superintendent Thomas says they're working to fill those positions. The last day here at Inglewood Elementary will be May 25th. Live from Inglewood Elementary, Seth Bird at Two News. They can't keep the lights on. The levy didn't pass, and they can't keep the lights on. Now they have to close down a school building and separate the students between the other two elementary schools because, well, less people are going to school these days. Less students are attending American K-12 public schools, and thank God for it. And then, of course, they have to cut teachers loose because, well, you have a school that's closing permanently. I love it. I absolutely love it. There's no emotional component to it. The people who are emotional about seeing an old brick building uh, come crumbling down because of the ineptitude and fiscal irresponsibility and moral irresponsibility, because let's face it, that's really the problem here. It's degeneracy. It's the perversions that they teach. It's the wasted time. It's the lies. All of that. This right here is a literal and metaphorical collapse. That is inevitable when you lie generation after generation to people who you're supposed to be teaching the truth to by people who know what the truth is. Lies crumble to the ground. So do the buildings where the lies exist. This won't stop, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to continue well into the future. It won't matter if good economic times are right around the corner. Won't matter if Donald Trump takes over again in the coming years. It's not going to matter. The local individuals, regardless of how much money they make and is in their wallets, are not going to fund these degenerate areas with, with again, more money to just prop up these buildings that do nothing but indoctrinate and program. Again, you heard the superintendent use the word program. Well, we don't want to get rid of the, the programs for the children. Why are they called programs? Because they're being programmed into believing that it's important. It's not. The after-school things, the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion clubs, the, the satanic clubs that they have, pick one. The bread and circus nonsense, all of it. It's programming. And it's perfect. Again, the voters aren't having it. They're not having it in the tri-county area where I live. They're not going to have it with the local school district where I live in the town where I live. And I'm going to read a little bit about them later on because, again, they've lost the plot. They've lost it for a very long time, but they're overstepping their political boundaries, so to speak. They should focus on keeping the lights on. Instead, they're submitting statements to the state about how they don't like their parental bill of rights thing that's apparently going through, which, again, jokes on them. That entire bill is about everybody, but with that aside for a second, before I get to that, let me uh, let me mention this. Winton Woods is a um, it's an it's a national well it's a state park I believe if I'm not mistaken, beautiful golf course, but they uh, th their school district is located on the outer belt of Cincinnati to uh, Interstate 275, 
and this is from the local Cincinnati affiliate WLWT, Channel 5, NBC. Uh, Winton Woods employee on leave amid investigation into possible inappropriate messages. Hmm. Weird how another pedophile apparent, allegedly uh, gets caught in, uh, in a school environment. Weird. Weird how the predators know exactly where the prey is. Give this a listen in 321. High school employees on leave and the focus now of a police investigation. So the employee is accused of sending inappropriate text messages to a 14-year-old student. WLWT News 5's investigative reporter Jatera McGee live at Whitten Woods High School tonight in Forest Park with more on who came forward and what some of the text messages said. Hi, Jatera. Yeah, hi there, Cherie. This school employee has not been criminally charged, so we are not naming him, at least not for now. Also, we spoke tonight with the father of a student who's one of the people who told authorities that this was happening. We're protecting his identity as well. It's terrifying. A Winton Woods High School parent responding to a criminal probe into a school staffer his daughter blew the whistle on. She was one of several students who alerted school leaders Monday that an employee was sending inappropriate messages to a student. They got together um, and kind of just pieced it all together and took it to the the school and have very proud that they did that and how they did it. Forest Park Police confirmed they're investigating a school employee for alleged inappropriate texts sent to a 14-year-old that were sexual in nature. WNWT obtained text messages that appear to show the employee asking students not to turn him in. Please ask them not to. I need to figure out a plan of a living situation and work situation. I already know what's going to happen. Like, this will literally end my life as it is, and any opportunity to work anywhere or do anything. The texts appear to show him offer students bribes to stay quiet, texting, please ask what they all want from Starbucks during first bell. And like any and all classes y'all went out of for the remainder of the year, I will let y'all. I am saddened to have broke the bond we all built over the year. And this man has is around these children daily, many times during the day, and it's just... It's scary. It's scary. Superintendent Anthony Smith writes, we are conducting a thorough investigation. Our proactive measures tend to be our best support, which is that students are guided to see something, say something. And in one text message that we we reviewed, this staff member acknowledged kissing the teen. Superintendent Smith tells us that this employee is now on paid leave pending the outcome of the investigation. He also says all parents of students they believe may have been involved have been contacted. We're live in Forest Park tonight. Tara McGee, WNWT News 5. All right. So he's finished. Goes without saying, doesn't it? His career is over. His name will come out. He will be charged. He'll have to be. Uh, you, you, you can't, you can't do things like this and, and, and get away with it. Unfortunately, there are many who do things like this and many who do far worse and get away with it. And they are still working. Here would be an interesting approach to take. A real school principal who wasn't a predator and knew the environment for what it really is. A real school principal a superintendent, school board members, people who had real stones, if they wanted to clear up and clean up their entire school district, they could do it overnight. 
And here's one, here's one method. You tell all of the parents and all of the students to basically be their own task force. That if they suspect or have proof of inappropriate behavior at the hands of administrators, any school employee, right down to the school teachers, even teachers' aides, then they, they need to gather that evidence and bring it to them immediately so that they can investigate and get the person gone immediately. And you make that announcement public, as public as humanly possible. You say it in faculty meetings. You say it in, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, school board meetings, I guess. That way it's all over YouTube because most school boards find their way to YouTube and they live stream those. And then, of course, they, they stay recorded on YouTube. But you make it widely known to the public that you are interested in credible evidence against staff members regarding any inappropriate behavior toward, again, one another, but more specifically against students. And I guarantee that, well, First of all, you would have inappropriate uh, and, I, I should say, unverifiable complaints. That will certainly happen. But if you emphasize the fact that there has to be undeniable proof and not just feelings, but actual stories where there are some witnesses and things have happened, I'm telling you what, the complaints would roll in like you wouldn't believe. So that superintendent in that school district thinks that what he's doing after the fact is being proactive, I disagree. If you want to be proactive as all these idiots claim that they are, what I just suggested is how you be proactive. You show up and you say, okay, I want students to blow the whistle on the creeps that work in this school district. If you know of teachers or administrators who are doing things that are inappropriate, you record it, you, you document it. I want names, dates, times of day, the location in the building or wherever it took place. Write it down and, and bring it directly to us. You set up a separate email for just those complaints. I'm telling you, <laughs> in the blink of an eye, you would have in that email box at the district level a flood of complaints in any district across the United States. That's the definition of proactive. That's how you clean up the riffraff and the sexual predators out of these environments. Does that happen? No, it doesn't. There's no way that a school district does that. Now, why wouldn't they do it? Enter teachers' unions. This is where a teachers' union would actually come to the defense of the teachers who participate in the union. And they, they, of course, would say, well, it's not because we're covering for potential sexual predators. We're not doing that. Of course not. No, no, no. They, they would distance themselves from illegality as much as humanly possible. But they would say things like, it's not fair. Innocent teachers are going to get caught up in this. That It's not the role of the student to become police officer. Nonsense. Nonsense. I completely disagree. It is society's responsibility to clean up society. And you can't do it if you don't give the citizens or citizens don't feel like they have the opportunity or the right or even 
the safe environment in order to make such viable complaints. You have to you have to present that to students, parents, the entire area on a silver platter and say, look, predators prey and they hide until they don't want to hide anymore and then their predatory behavior becomes more public. Instead of having just one student come out and complain, how about we put the students on the offensive? Put them on the offense. Have them go out and find these people. I'm not saying set them up to where, again, an innocent person gets gets roped into something and they didn't actually do anything wrong. And don't operate on just feelings like, well, I think so-and-so's creepy. That's not a viable complaint. Have they done something, said something, touched somebody, engaged in a particular act that is suspicious or inappropriate? Because let, let's face it, a lot of children understand what inappropriate behavior is. They know what it is. And they know that they are in, quote-unquote, public in what is supposed to be a professional environment. So I'm not, I, I would assume that the vast majority of complaints that would come through would be truthful and certainly verifiable. But that's something that a school district could do, and they don't do it. Because again, they aren't proactive, they're reactive. They're interested in cleaning up the mess after, after the fact, after people have already been preyed upon and hurt, and then claiming that they're proactive in the process of trying to basically minimize any wrongdoing and cover anything up and deny any responsibility and so on and so forth. It's ridiculous. But that's, that's the real definition of proactive. Get yourself a student task force to hunt down these predators because they're more savvy with social media than the adults are, in many cases anyway, and, and they'll get caught. So there you go. That's a brave student, though. Very brave student who came forward with all of that. There should be more people out there like that. I wish there were. All right. Now the local issue. And the local nitwits on the uh, Talawanda City School Board where I live here in southwest Ohio. You've heard me in the past bring up House Bill 8, which is referred to as the, uh, the Parents' Bill of Rights. This, of course, has a lot to do with getting rid of what they deem to be misinformation. and getting a lot of the LGBT gay crap out of the classroom, which is great. The problem is, is that both sides of the proverbial political aisle are being played. This is far worse than what even these weirdos think, who are, who are against this particular bill. The bill is an abomination again, but not for the reasons they think. Like I said, getting rid of the gay stuff is a must. But the back end of the bill has to do with not being able to have controversial discussions in the classroom, and it specifically lays out a couple which have to do with things like stolen elections. That's, that's one of them. You can't, you can't have a debate about the 2020 election. You also can't, again, bring up anything that they deem, and I don't know who the they is, but you can't bring up anything that's deemed controversial, quote unquote. So who makes that decision? Who makes the decision as to what's controversial and what isn't? 
Are they allowed to bring up the hollow hoax? How about fake school shootings? Are they allowed to bring up that? Or is that controversial? How about the moon landing hoax? How about that? How about Earth not being a spinning ball in the middle of science class? Can you bring that up? See, this is why HB8 is, is, is bad. It's not bad because the leftists don't want the gay stuff taken out of the classroom. That should happen. It's bad because it really is an infringement on the First Amendment. And we know, again, that the degenerates with the gay agenda in the classroom setting are using the First Amendment as their excuse as to why this bill is unnecessary and shouldn't pass the Ohio Senate and certainly sh- and shouldn't be signed. It will be signed. The problem is, is again, as I've rambled on long enough, it really is about squashing free speech across the board. See, you should have debates in the classroom about real content. You should not be talking about sexuality in the classroom unless it's a health education classroom. And even then, well, unfortunately, Ohio doesn't have any health education standards. So, you know, the the book is wide open as to what they can discuss. But anybody with any morals or values or knowledge on the subject of health education wouldn't be bringing up the transgender stuff unless. It's in the most factually accurate avenue humanly possible, which of course has to do with its original roots, where it came from, who started it, why it began, how it is a brainwashing mental illness that seeks to have the very individuals self-mutilate themselves, and then have that ultimately further lead to the mental and emotional decline of them to the point where they end up committing suicide or addicted to drugs or what you know whatever it may be that's the real education that should take place regarding all of this the unfortunate part is even this bill would keep people from teaching that factually accurate information in the classroom about the sexual degeneracy that goes along with the LGBTQ agenda That's the real problem. So both sides of this bill, Republican, Democrat, same fingers on the same corrupt hand. They have no idea that what they are, that what they're supporting and opposing is really bad for everybody. So here's what, uh, this is some testimony it says, and this was tossed to me by a friend of mine. And they, it's, it says this, it says that the top testimony provided to the Ohio House Primary and Secondary Education Committee. And it has to do with opposing HB 8, the Parents' Bill of Rights. And this was provided by Rebecca Howard, who is gay and sits on the uh, Talawanda City School Board. I think think they're gay anyway. Kathleen uh, Knight-Abowitz, she's been called a Maoist, if memory serves. She's an old Miami University professor. And uh, she's a lunatic, in my opinion. And uh, Edward Thoreau, old Eddie, with his um, just for men Van Dyke mustache and Fu Manchu, and uh, yeah, he he just he just paints the mustache. It's beyond bizarre. And uh, he's he's also queerer than a three dollar bill. With that said, he's the superintendent, of course. Here's what it says: Submitted May eighth of twenty twenty three. Chairman Byrd and members of the Primary and Secondary Education Committee, thank you for allowing us to share our perspectives on House Bill 8. 
the Parents' Bill of Rights. We are educators and board members from the Talawanda City School District in Southwest Ohio representing 3,000 students and their families. Again, I have to... <laughs> this is great. This is great. All these people. It's Sun Tzu to the bone. I have to stop already. First paragraph here. When you're a school district, all right, and, and you're becoming insolvent, you normally want to keep your mouth shut. Normally, you don't want to say anything. You don't want the state to know who you are. You don't want to introduce yourself to people. You just want to be real quiet and stay in your office and do whatever you can to balance the books because you're about to have the state come in and take over your entire district. Not these idiots. These people are not just criminals. But they're actually going to the state agencies to identify who they are, inject themselves into a political conversation to shine a giant light on their own degeneracy as a school district, and the fact that they are becoming insolvent. And they're not hiding themselves. They're exposing themselves by exposing themselves to this, this ideology and this degeneracy. Again. One of, the, one of the interesting things regarding the pathology of arsonists is arsonists love seeing their own work when, when they've done it. They will light a building on fire, and then they will stand back in the distance and watch it burn. That's why many arsonists get caught, because they're still on the scene of the crime watching the thing burn after they've just committed the crime. If a real arsonist was interested in getting away with it, they'd cover their tracks and make sure that their faces and voices were never seen or heard from ever again. Not so with school district members. Not so with school board members, in particular hard leftists. It even happens on the right. Seeming conservative school board members can't keep their mouths shut when their own school districts are falling apart. So they quite literally go to the state asking for help. You've heard me bring this up in the past. The only help the state offers them is taking over their entire district and firing them. I love it. These people are so flippin' stupid. They have no idea that, again, they're showing their face after they've robbed a bank. <laughs> it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I, I love it. They're, they're this dumb. This is why, again, you know, they're, they're criminals. They belong in jail for what they've done here, for the mismanagement of this entire situation. They belong in jail. But at least they're exposing themselves after the, after the crime. Keep it up. Keep it up, dummies. I love it. Second paragraph. Sorry. I'm, I'm, this is just amazing. It says, we strongly oppose HB8. Existing Ohio legal code already offers parents substantial rights when it comes to the education of their children in public schools, and the vague nature of the wording in this bill will serve to target LGBTQ plus students and families, as well as classroom teachers, so they say. We present three key concerns that we hold as educators and board members regarding this legislation. This again is the biggest problem with school boards these days. And it's been like this for a long time. They are political entities when they're not supposed to be. 
What they're supposed to do is balance the books and go home. That's it. But they inject themselves into these local, state, and national debates where they have no business saying anything. Even if it is about a school, who cares? You're a local school district. You can get rid of the degeneracy anytime you want, and you can make your building the gayest building on the face of the planet. They can do both of those things. The problem is, law gets in the way, and there's going to be an issue with that eventually. Someone's going to complain. But this is what they think their role is. So here's their first point. It says HB8 is unnecessary legislation, and that's in bold print. It says public schools in Ohio are required by law, Ohio Code 3313.472 and 3313.212, to maintain consistent and effective communication between parents and schools and to allow, uh, I'm sorry, and to allow parents mechanisms to review curriculum materials. Our school district, like all others, has policies which stipulate the notification of parents around controversial curriculum, quote-unquote. I hate that word, controversial. I hate it. Because, again, it also squashes free speech. Again, a history student walks into a classroom and says, the the holohoax, yeah, the holohoax didn't exist. The Holocaust didn't happen. It's a giant lie for the purpose of profit and brainwashing. And if they do a whole report on it, are they allowed to? Or is it too controversial? Allows for parents to opt their students out of certain lessons, and it also allows parents to challenge materials in the, in the curriculum. This is current Ohio code. They say HB8 is based on misinformation related to schools and teachers. It is unneeded and unfunded legislation. They don't define what the misinformation is. That's another word that I cannot stand. And then it, below that, it says, note, if there should be evidence that there are a few districts or schools who are not following the existing Ohio code in this matter, state authorities need to work with those schools to bring them into compliance. Don't add additional confusing, unnecessary legislation which obfuscates the pre-existing laws. Doing so is ineffective and ineffective governance. See, this is why a bill like this is, is problematic because, as I said, it's not about just getting rid of the gay stuff, which is good. It's about introducing a complete removal of anybody having the ability to have a real conversation about real issues. Again, given this bill, you wouldn't even be able, as I said earlier, to bring up the real history of the LGBTQXYZ bullshit movement. You wouldn't even be able to do that. And that's quite an education because it's remarkably dangerous, remarkably degenerate, and totally disgusting. And people need to know about that. But with this, yeah, you, you, you wouldn't be able to teach it, essentially, or certainly educate people about it. And I thought that's what these environments were all about. I thought it was all about teaching the truth. Weird. Apparently not. Number two. This is their second complaint. It says this legislation can be easily used to target LGBTQ plus students in our schools. Here comes the victim blaming. 
Requiring schools to report changes to a student mental and emotional or physical health or well-being. Sounds like the legislature would be requiring schools to out LGBTQ plus students to their families. Sharing this information without student consent is potentially traumatic for the student and can even be dangerous to their mental and physical health. My God, the hypocrisy of these people is astounding because letting them go down this degenerate path isn't going to be detrimental or dangerous to them. Give me a break. It says LGBTQ plus students experience higher rates of victimization and bullying in schools and have four times the suicide rates of non-LGBTQ students, so says the Centers for Disease Control and the Trevor Project. Why is that, do you think? It's because they're behaving like freaks. It's because they're mentally ill and trying to, and trying to push their mental illness on everybody as if it is normal. Yes, they're going to get made fun of. And they experience more suicide because they believe things that are not real and they're trying to normalize insanity because they're already ill. That's why the suicide rate is as high as it is among them. Not to mention the chemical castration and the genital mutilation, but you know, that's that's it's another subject for another time. Same thing though. Number 3, their third complaint, HB8 will encourage witch hunts against teachers. Here we go. Now every teacher is going to be the victim also. Because the bill is vaguely worded, they say, referencing sexually explicit content, quote-unquote, it presents an opportunity for community members to target teachers who teach content which might be deemed controversial and those who are teaching content related to equity and diversity. I'll take it a step further. They shouldn't be teaching equity and diversity. What if they teach something that unfortunately society deems is controversial, but again, is in fact the truth. Those people would be targeted in this also. They then wrapped up and said public schools already have, as mentioned in point one, policies that provide parents ways to raise challenges to particular materials in curriculum and or opt their children out. It says the last thing that teachers and administrators need are more baseless, time-wasting challenges from community members. We agree. And the baseless time-wasting challenges come from school boards. And it comes from all of this alphabet soup degeneracy. They said public schools are facing a teacher recruitment and retention problem since COVID. Oh, it's been long since before that. But you put the nail in your own coffin. And then they said, quote, and the teacher shortage would be only made worse by bills like HP, HB8, which seek to undermine the authority of educators at the expense of LGBTQ plus students. We ask you to reject HB8. The legislation would not only unneeded, is not only unneeded rather, but it is potentially harmful to a group of students who are already more at risk for victimization and mental health challenges in schools, unquote. Yes, you're right, but not for the reason you think. They're already more potentially harmful to a group of students because you're perpetuating their mental illness by teaching it to believe that it's normal. 
that pretending to be a girl when you're a boy is normal. That pretending to be a boy when you're a girl is normal. That cutting the skin off of your forearm to be used as a makeshift phallic device sewn to your pubic bone to have a hose run through it on one end and then on the other tied to your bladder internally to mimic a male penis, a male organ, sex organ, that that is normal. That pedophilia is normal. That constantly talking about sex is normal. And that how all of that confusion, as if adolescence wasn't hard enough, that all of that confusion on top of it would lead someone to physically harm themselves either by cutting themselves or using drugs or alcohol or hanging out with the wrong people or becoming sexually promiscuous, whatever it may be. That slippery slope is next to impossible to come back from. People do come back from it, but not not the chemical castration and the genital mutilation. They don't come back from that. That's permanent damage. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what American K-12 schools are supporting. This is what the Talawanda City Schools in Southwest Ohio is supporting. And they think they're going to pass a levy. (laughs) They actually think they're going to pass a levy in November. They're finished. They're completely finished. The enemy is telling you what they support. It's right here in black and white. Yes, it would get rid of the ability to teach endless truthful things in the classroom. Like I said, teaching the truth about the real history of the degenerate LGBTQ agenda and where it started. They wouldn't even have the ability to teach that. So you just, this is basically, you're not allowed to teach the truth, Bill. The whack job leftists think we're not allowed to teach the degeneracy that we've been teaching this whole time, and you're keeping us from doing that now. That's part of it, but it's far worse. The enemy, again, is showing you what they support. If you send your children to environments like this, ladies and gentlemen, you're setting, you're, you're setting your child up to be abused. Now I know, as I've said before, excuse me, starting to lose my voice now. I know that I've said this before and I mean it. There are excellent parents who are wide awake with excellent children who are wide awake who attend public schools just like this degenerate one right here. And they're consistently communicating with their children about what they're experiencing, what they're seeing, what's going on. My whole point, and I'm not saying that's bad, that's an excellent thing. And that communication piece has got to continue to exist. However, I would encourage people to think a little further down the timeline in one's life and ask yourselves, is your child going to have serious regrets about going, knowing the things that they're consistently learning about and are going to learn about in the future? Are they going to have regrets about not teaching themselves at home in a healthier environment when they were in 
middle school and high school. Because I can tell you, as almost a 42-year-old man, I have serious regrets about not bringing up homeschooling as a younger child to my parents. And my mom was a former educator and a stay-at-home mom. She was a homemaker in the most traditional sense, great upbringing. Even my mom brings it up and says, you know what, looking back, knowing what I know now, I I could have homeschooled you and your brother. I could have done it without a doubt. We could have done it. And it's true. We could have. It could have happened very easily. Abeka even existed back then. But we didn't know that. And who knows? Maybe my parents did, and, and you know, maybe they didn't. I'm not sure. I didn't know about it. And of course, as we know, there was this negative stigma about homeschooling. That's gone now, isn't it? It's gone. There's no more negative stigma about homeschooling. In fact, by the grace of God and the Great Awakening, that coin has been completely flipped. Now, we can see that the negative stigma, and it's true, is all on the American K-12 public and university school systems, which means what? Is there any going back? I don't think so. That coin is never going to be flipped back again. It won't. It's like this now forever. And it's only getting worse as far as the public schools are concerned. You heard me say again, the metaphorical scale. Imagine a scale in front of your face. On one side, you have the American K-12 public school system, and on the other, you have homeschooling. How does that scale look? The weighted side for truth is homeschooling without a doubt. My whole thing is later regret. Don't you know, it's, I I guess it's kind of easy to deal with depending on how involved you are and how much knowledge a person has, because clearly you can't reverse the past and what's done is done, but I should have homeschooled myself. I mean, I I could have done it. I could have done it. I could have learned potentially more truth, certainly than what I was learning in the American K-12 school system, and with the internet the way that it is, and Gab, and BitChute, and Rumble, and even some channels on YouTube, not many, but some, you can learn copious amounts of things in such a, in such a short amount of time. The resources are endless. So much so, I might add, in this long, in this long analysis here, so, mu- so many references, in fact, and resources at, at your fingertips, in your own pocket, on a cell phone, that the school systems themselves don't want you to access them. They put policies in place so that you can't access BitChute, that you can't access Rumble, Telegram, so on and so forth. And they don't want you to. Why is that? Because that's where the truth is. It's not in a brick-and-mortar school building. It's just not. The coin's been flipped, ladies and gentlemen. It's been flipped, and it's never going to turn back. And the brazen behavior of these proverbial arsonists, who are school board members and a superintendent where I live, they're telling everybody that they want degeneracy. 
and they are fine with perpetuating it even if it leads to a child's own death. This is your enemy. Please understand that. Last education story here. Sisley threw this my way. This proves my point. Just another example. LifeNews.com Christian, quote-unquote, university will pay for students to kill their babies in abortions. Wesleyan University, a prominent and supposedly Christian school, plans to begin paying for student abortions uh, this fall. Sorry, this upcoming fall. It says, over the weekend, a university spokesperson confirmed the news in response to demands from the pro-abortion club Young Democratic Socialists of America, NBC Connecticut reports. Wesleyan University is a private Methodist Episcopal University in Middletown, Connecticut. Funded in 1831, it was named after Methodist founder and Christian evangelist John Wesley. However, the school has strayed from its Christian roots in recent years by hosting pro-abortion events that promote killing unborn babies in abortions. And so on, and so on, and so on. There you go. Christian only in name, only in the occasional logo. I'm telling you, these degenerates are embedded everywhere. And if you're attending, you know, you're just, you're opening your wallets to them. It's astounding. Okay, jab-related things. A few things here. First of all, a little story and a couple of observations. You've heard me mention before on YouTube how there are more and more YouTube channels popping up with quote-unquote so-called influencers talking about their health problems. There's another one that's popped up here sort of on the, it's on the same spectrum, but on a different slot of the same sort of jab spectrum that I've, that I've referenced in the past. This has to do with two individuals who I, I saw on YouTube and I, and I watched uh, their explanations very briefly, and I, I thought it was interesting, so I wanted to bring it to your attention. The first person, Pat McAfee. You've heard me mention him before. He's, the, um, he's a former punter for the Indianapolis Colts. He has his own sports show. He's double-jabbed, at the very least. And he was also the one who, of course, had Aaron Rodgers on his show after, and he's good friends with Aaron Rodgers, but he had Aaron Rodgers on his show after Aaron Rodgers was on Joe Rogan's show, if memory serves, where of course Joe Rogan, or Aaron Rodgers rather, was telling Joe Rogan that he didn't take the jabs and here's why. And then, and then Pat McAfee had him on his show, having taken the jabs himself as Pat McAfee has openly admitted. And the look on his face when he was talking with Aaron Rodgers was astounding. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Recently, however, being double-jabbed at the very least, Pat McAfee has had a child with his wife. Now, I don't know if his wife is jabbed or not, but I wanted to mention this because this is happening. Jabbed individuals are giving birth to children. It doesn't make giving birth to a child impossible. It can make it very hard, as 
endless stories and endless scientific proof have proven, and I've mentioned almost all of it on this show. But, I'm, I, and I'm certainly not wishing any harm on on Pat McAfee's child, nor his, nor you know his wife's. That, that that's not the the purpose of this. The purpose is this: it would be very easy for a jabbed person to say, well, to hell with all the people who said that you can't have kids if you're jabbed. They might even say that about me. It's possible Matt, Pat McAfee saw the uh, school board speech that I gave where I clearly referenced the New England Journal of Medicine article, not by name, but I, I referenced the statistics at the time, which of course became worse. The statistics became far worse when it came to fertility and are, are terrible. But it would be easy for an individual potentially like him or someone else who is jabbed and does give birth to, again, say, to hell with all of those people who said we can't have kids. Look, I had a kid. You're, you're, you know, you're wrong. We're right. Go, go to hell. I would simply put out this word of caution. You don't know what lies ahead for your child because either you or your wife are either individually or collectively jabbed. On top of that, are you allowing your newborn child to receive the standard protocol, as it were, as it seems to be, unfortunately, for vaccinations? On top of the fact that you and your wife potentially are jabbed. Again, I know Pat's jabbed because he's openly admitted it, or unless he's lying about it, but. There's there's that piece because again, that's that's how poison works, and that's how damaged DNA works. Is it doesn't necessarily flip the switch when you think it's going to flip the switch. You're not in control of that. It decides. The development of the DNA decides. So, brief history lesson again, very quickly. We know that childhood cancer did not exist before the, in, the, before the invention of vaccinations. Didn't exist. Wasn't even a thing. Never happened. We know that vaccinations cause childhood cancer. Unequivocally, so do other things. Household cleaning products, poisonous food, things of that nature. But it is, without a doubt, vaccinations. When that strikes a person, as it did my, my nephew when he was about two and a half years old, you, you, don't get to, to, you just don't get to decide when that happens. The timetable isn't up to you. So I would encourage people to take that into consideration. I wish the best for their child. I don't want their child to die. I'm not interested in proving a point because I'm not a psycho. I'm simply saying that if anybody is out there and they've had a child and they or their spouse, individually or collectively, have been jabbed and they've reproduced, they should be very, very cautious. Because this is where the excuse of sudden infant death syndrome rears its ugly head yet again, and people start believing that as that being some thing that occurs. There's no such thing. As sudden infant death syndrome, there is just poisoning as a result, typically, of vaccination. 
and the impact that that has on a young developing DNA inside of a child. So I, I, I wanted to bring that up again. I fully, I fully know that jabbed individuals are having children. I just wonder how long is it going to take before the child shows the potential ill effects of the parents being jabbed. That's all. Which brings me to my second story and second example. You may, I'm going to butcher her last name, but you may recall this gal. She's a TV personality, Access Hollywood, NBC News. Lot of entertainment related stuff she would do. Maria Menunos, if I'm saying her last name right. A num- I, I, I watched this brief video is about six or seven days ago on YouTube of her discussing how she had pan- uh, pancreatic cancer. Now, a number of years ago, she had brain cancer, apparently, a brain tumor, um, and then apparently was, was cured of that, allegedly. Again, Pseudo-actress in the media, I'm assuming she's telling the truth. I don't have necessarily any reason to believe she's lying, but it is NBC News, so take it with a grain of salt. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, I'm just saying I don't know. But she comes on and she's talking with Hoda Kotb on, uh, on the Today Show about how in the past months or year, back again, we're talking, it would have been 2021 if memory serves, so we're talking after the jabs. Certainly after the jab rollout, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They never bring up the jabs, as you would suspect or expect. And they, they honed in more on how she was pregnant at the time. And then she thought that it was like some abdominal pain, and then it wouldn't go away, and then they had an MRI, and then they thought it was one thing, and then it turned out to be pancreatic cancer. And now she doesn't apparently have pancreatic cancer anymore, which, you know, that's interesting in itself because it's a, it's a killer, as, we, as many of us know, in the field of cancers. But again, it begs the question, is it jab-related? And number two, she's pregnant. So she says, even now. Which means, how long does she have? before there's a potential miscarriage, and is she actually going to take the child to full term? I don't know. And again, I'm not wishing ill will. That's, that's not what I'm doing because I'm not a psycho. I'm simply making these, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm simply making these observations based on what people are saying, and then I'm listening to what they're not saying. And then I'm throwing that up against what we know has gone on. And even what, again, as even Pat McAfee has allegedly admitted, that he is jabbed. So these are just some of the questions I roll around in my head when I, again, when I make these observations, because I'm skeptical of a number of different things, but I'm also wondering whether or not, because again, this is the distrust in the media, they can't be trusted. So would it be possible that they would roll out? an individual and say that they have recovered from cancer and that they're jabbed, but they're fine. And now they've given birth and they're fine and everybody's fine. Would they do that as a media apparatus to squash the published scientific literature and the conversation regarding 
infertility when it comes to the jabs? I think they would. Because let's face it, if they can fake a school shooting and get legislation passed or move legislation forward to strip people of guns, why can't they do this? Look what they did again with the whole COVID thing. I mean, they lied about it. They lied about the shots. They lied about the the illness. They lied about everything. But we're all supposed to suddenly believe that individuals aren't having ill health effects as a result of potentially being jabbed. Um, Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure I I'm not sure I buy it all the time. So if the Maria Menounos gal or however the hell you say her name, if she's actually pregnant, I, I don't wish ill will on her or anybody. Same thing with, with McAfee. I, I don't wish ill will on him or his child or his wife or anybody. And as God is my witness, I don't know if I've said this here on the show or not, but I have quite literally prayed that the jabs turn to water in everybody who has taken them. And I emphasize the word everybody. I understand there's a lot of evil people out there that we would love to just watch disappear, you know, due to their own negligence in their own hand. I mean, you know, again, it sounds bloodthirsty, but I have, I have prayed that that be the case regarding these shots, that they turn to water and that they don't hurt people. Because I know that God does miracles for people. I, 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 it happens. It's 100% provable. But I also know that that's not entirely up to me. So take that for what you want. But again, people are finding things out the hard way. And we know that their capacity for rationalization and uh, compartmentalizing particular issues, in particular regarding this issue, is astounding. It's absolutely astounding. So there's that too. There was also this. There was an anonymous post, which I've since uh, accidentally deleted. It, it, was, it was interesting, but it was on Gab, and it was an individual describing um, a sexual experience that they had with, with someone who was jabbed, uh, a sexual encounter, having intercourse with someone who was jabbed when they were not. And they said, Something like two days after the interaction, their lymph nodes started to swell and were visibly large in their neck looking in the mirror. And then they said three days after the experience, they had sweats and chills and a fever and and felt terrible. And then a week or so after the interaction, uh, blisters started to appear on the palms of their hands. And they said that they weren't, um, they were blisters that had fluid on the inside of them. Now, again, this is consistent with endless literature that I've read here on the show that's been published. It's consistent with the article that I linked in the description below of the, of the last episode. This is a thing. This does happen. The the impact of, of these shots do create a compromised immune system and, and reactions that mimic sexually transmitted diseases. You've heard me bring that up here before on, on countless occasions. So I just wanted to I wanted to reiterate that that, that is that is a thing that is continuing to happen. 
And of course, unfortunately, the died suddenlies and died unexpectedlies are continuing to occur as well, in particular among uh, high school students and school-age students. This is from Gateway Pundit earlier this week. Nebraska high school star athlete dies unexpectedly after collapsing during track practice. It says, Wisner Pilger High School senior Hunter Palmer, 18, died after collapsing during track practice on Friday, days before he was set to graduate. It's unclear the cause of his death. Well, I, I, think, I think we know. We can certainly take a guess. So this is, this is continuing to be a thing. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's unavoidable. This is just going to be unavoidable. And the consequences of it are unavoidable. And the long-term sustainability, so to speak, to use that word, uh, is going to be unavoidable regarding the existence of the American K-12 and university school system. With that said, let me read this then. In conclusion, this comes from an excellent book titled, again, The Truth About Contagion, Exploring Theories of How Disease Spreads by Dr. Thomas Cowan and Sally Fallon Morell. This was published in 2021. In fact, again, if a person was going to read a book during the time of the COVID nonsense and that giant lie, this would have been the one, without a doubt, along with, of course, The Rape of the Mind, which I think I read, I want to say, two summers ago, maybe. Fantastic book. I highly recommend The Rape of the Mind if you haven't read that one either. Um, this, is at the, this is in the first chapter. I just want to bring this up. Uh, bear with me. This right here lays, all, lays out the history as, as, as quickly and briefly as humanly possible regarding the lie of virology, the difference between, again, germ theory being a theory and terrain theory being the terrain of the entire body and how that's really what matters. And if you poison the body, well, then there's your so-called illness right there. He said the following. It says, quote, and he's talking about uh, Robert Koch, if I'm not mistaken, and later talks about Louis Pasteur. He says, how did this state of error come about, especially concerning infections, quote-unquote, with bacteria and viruses? It goes back a long time, even to the philosophers espoused in ancient Greece. Several philosophers and medics promoted this theory during the Renaissance, but in modern times, this masquerade became the explanation for most disease with that great fraud and plagiarist, Louis Pasteur father of the germ theory. It says, imagine a case in which some people who drink the milk from a certain cow develop profuse bloody diarrhea. Your job is to find the cause of the problem. You wonder, where the, you wonder whether there is a transmissible agent in the milk that is being consumed by the unfortunate people, which makes them ill. This seems perfectly reasonable thus far. Then you examine the milk under the newly invented microscope apparatus and find a bacterium in the milk. You can tell that its appearance by its appearance that it is different from the usual bacteria that are found in all milk. You carefully examine the milk, discover that most, if not all, of the people with bloody diarrhea, in fact, did drink the milk. 
when you examine the milk consumed by people who didn't develop diarrhea and find that none of the milk samples contained this particular bacterium. You named the bacteria Listeria after a fellow scientist. Then, to wrap up the case, you purify the bacteria so that nothing else from the milk remains. You give this purified bacterial culture to a person who then develops bloody diarrhea. The clincher, no pun intended, is that you then find the same bacteria in their stool. Case closed, infection proven. According to Pasteur, anyway. He then says, Pasteur did this type of experiment for 40 years. He found sick people, claimed to have isolated a bacteria, gave the pure culture to animals, often by injecting it into their brains, and made them sick. As a result, he became the celebrity scientist of his time, feted by kings and prime ministers and hailed as a great scientist. His work led to pasteurization, a technique responsible for destroying the integrity and health-giving properties of milk. His experiments ushered in germ theory of disease. And for over a century, this radical new theory had dominated not only the practice of Western medicine, but also our cultural and economic life. We are proposing a different way of understanding the milk study. For example, what if the milk came from cows that were being poisoned or starved? Maybe they were dipped in flea poison. Maybe they were fed grains sprayed with arsenic instead of their natural diet of grass. Maybe they were fed distillery waste and cardboard, a common practice in Pasteur's day in many cities around the world. We now know with certainty that any toxins fed to a nursing mammal show up in their milk. What if these Listeria bacteria are not the cause of anything, but simply nature's way of digesting and disposing of toxins? After all, this seems to be the role that bacteria play in biological life. If you put stinky stuff in your compost pile, the bacteria fed on the stuff and proliferate. No rational person would claim the compost pile has an infection. In fact, what the bacteria do in the compost pile is more of a bioremediation. Or consider a pond that has become a dumping ground for poisons. The algae see, quote-unquote, the poison and digest it, returning the pond to a healthier state, as long as you stop poisoning the pond. Again, this is bioremediation, not infection. If you take aerobic bacteria, bacteria that need oxygen, and put them in an anaerobic environment in which oxygen, their oxygen supply is reduced, they often produce poisons. Clostridia is a family of bacteria that under healthy circumstances ferments carbohydrates in the lower bowel to produce important compounds like butyric acid, if I'm saying that right. But under anaerobic conditions, this bacteria produces poisons that can cause botulism. It's the poisons, not the bacteria itself, that make people sick. Or more fundamentally, it's the environment or terrain that cause the bacteria to create the poisons. Isn't it possible that toxins in the milk 
possibly because the cow is not well-nourished and cannot easily rid of the toxins, account for the presence of listeria, which is always present in our bodies, along with billions of other bacteria and particles called viruses. The listeria is simply biodegrading the toxins that proliferate due to the unhealthy condition of the milk. The central question, then, is how can we prove that the listeria and not some and not something toxic in the milk is causing the diarrhea? The answer is the same as in the ping pong ball example. Feeding a healthy person the milk is like throwing the bucket with stones, ice, and yes, a ping pong ball at a wall. It proves nothing. You must isolate the ball, in this case, the listeria and feed only this to the healthy person or animal to see what happens. This is what Pasteur claims to have done in his papers. Pasteur passed his laboratory notebooks along to his heirs, and the provision that they never made the notebooks public. However, his grandson, Louis Pasteur Valéry Radat, who apparently didn't care for Pasteur much, donated the notebooks to the French National Library, which published them. In 1995, Professor Gerald Giesen, I'm saying that right, of Princeton University, published an analysis of these notebooks, which revealed that Pasteur had committed massive fraud in all his studies. For instance, when he said that he had injected virulent anthrax spores into vaccinated and unvaccinated animals, he could trumpet the fact that the unvaccinated animals died, but that was because he also injected the unvaccinated animals with poison. In the notebooks, Pasteur states unequivocally that he was unable to transfer disease with a pure culture of bacteria. He obviously wasn't able to purify viruses at that time. In fact, the only way he could transfer disease was to either insert the whole infected tissue into another animal, he would sometimes inject ground-up brains of an animal into the brain of another animal to prove contagion, quote-unquote, or resort to adding poisons to his culture, which he knew would cause the symptoms in the recipients. He admitted that the whole effort to prove contagion was a failure, resulting in his reputed Deathbed confession, quote, the germ is nothing, the terrain is everything, unquote. In this case, terrain refers to the condition of the animal or person and whether the animal or person has suffered from poisoning or starvation. Since Pasteur's day, no one has demonstrated experimentally the transmissibility of disease with pure cultures of bacteria or viruses. No one has bothered since Pasteur's time to throw a ping-pong ball at a wall and see what happens. Incredible as that may seem, we are sitting on the house of cards that has resulted in incalculable harm to humanity, the biosphere, and the geosphere of the Earth. Unquote. Again, the book is The Truth About Contagion, Exploring Theories of How Disease Spreads by Thomas Cowan, M.D. and Sally Fallon Morell. In the very next chapter, ladies and gentlemen, they bring up how the Spanish flu was not caused by some virus, quote-unquote, some thing traveling through the air, 
like a, a little germ of, of some sort. They actually directly blame it on electricity and the invention and widespread use at the time of antennas for the very first time in human history, in particular on military bases. Military bases that had antennas were more infected with individuals who had, or individuals were more infected with flu-like symptoms, which of course they called the Spanish flu. I'm sure they had their reasons for calling it, calling it the Spanish flu also, probably rather nefarious, but the point is, is the entire next chapter talks about electromagnetism and how electromagnetism is the cause of a disruption of the cells inside of our body that make us ill. Hence, 5G. And how Wuhan, China had more 5G towers in just that city than the entire United States. And when they turned those on, you saw people dropping. Not an accident. And 5G towers are still going up in the United States. So, think about that one. It's not about cell phone service. It's about disrupting the cells in the human body. And as we know, we are electrical beings. We're 90% water. We are conductors of electricity. And this is having a very negative effect on the jab. And that's not going to get better unless those towers come down and the entire medical industry collapses. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I highly recommend checking out the book. It's a page turner. And wow, the history in it is incredible. So with that said, I'll catch you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.